Amen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Amanda. See you over there. Thanks for leading us in worship today. Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here today. If you're visiting with us, especially honored to have you. Uh, if you're listening online, glad to have you connected that way as well. Uh, we are continuing in a series that we've been in this summer. The title is The Suffering Saints. We're looking at different characters in the Bible who walk through suffering. And, uh, and, and a couple reasons um, for this series. Uh, one is that we want to look at how people experience suffering in the scriptures. Uh, maybe even compare that to how we respond in the midst of suffering. And then ultimately answer the question, what is God up to in our suffering? Where is he at? Does he hear my prayers? Is he doing anything um, as I ask him to help me? And, uh, and one of the things that struck me today personally is just how I tend to respond in hard things and suffering um, and I can see this pattern going all the way back to like my childhood um, that one of my first reactions is to get mad at God to get angry um, to 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 blame him and to ask hard questions and God if you would just been here this thing wouldn't have happened now here's the thing it doesn't matter um, the the caliber of suffering right so like when I was in the second grade and I heard that my dad was going back to prison for the second time or when I was in the fifth grade and Tiffany Cooper said she didn't want to be my girlfriend either way like my response was the same God where are you why this hurts I don't like the way this feels why aren't you doing anything where are you and so maybe you can relate to some of that how I tend to respond, but we're looking at these stories, these different people who walk through suffering. We're, we're watching them respond, some good examples, some not so good examples. But ultimately, what we're after is what is God up to? What is God up to in suffering that we might better understand what we're going through? We started with um, Adam. Uh, we looked at how his suffering was directly connected to his sin. Like God said, hey, don't do this or this will happen. And then he did this and that happened, right? It was super clear, right? Like, don't sin, don't eat from this tree. The moment you do, you will surely die. And so we talked about how all of our suffering is really just death stretched out over time. That we die a thousand deaths before we ever get to the physical death at the end of our physical life. And so you can see Adam's suffering directly connected to his own sin, and then we looked at Daniel. Daniel's suffering was the result not of his sin, but of his righteousness, of his faithfulness, of his, his unwillingness to recant his faith in God and worship false gods. And so his suffering was the result of living a righteous and faithful life. We looked at Joseph, sold into slavery. His, his suffering was the result of jealous brothers. It directly impacted him and looked at Job and his suffering came directly from Satan. Last week we looked at Stephen and his suffering was the result of his faithfulness to Jesus. He was arrested and told to recant his faith in Jesus and instead he stands up and preaches this amazing sermon but at the end he doesn't get an amen. Instead he gets stones and they stone him to death and his suffering came as a result of his faithfulness to Jesus. Well, interestingly enough, we we're looking at Paul this week, and before Paul went by Paul, he actually went by Saul. And so last week we briefly saw that it was actually Saul who was there at the death of Stephen, approving of that death sentence. 
And what happens a few chapters later in the Bible is that Saul is radically confronted by Jesus, blinded and struck to the ground, and Jesus gets his attention and then gives him grace and mercy and calls him into ministry. And he starts going by the name Paul. And he ends up writing most of your New Testament. Most of the letters in the New Testament are from Paul himself. And he himself encounters suffering upon suffering, both external and internal. And so he writes a lot about this suffering. And then we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in a few minutes where Paul starts connecting his suffering to our suffering and gives us some insight into what God is up to when we're going through hard things. I want to first just start with a kind of an overview of some of the things that Paul faced after he became a Christian. After he became a Christian. After his life was hidden in Christ. After he had trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and, and asked for the forgiveness of sins. And after God had done this redemptive work in, in Paul's life. You know what I mean? That moment where we expect everything to start going well and it doesn't. Now listen to some of the things that happened to Paul. This is in 2 Corinthians 11. And he begins to give kind of an account of some of the things he experienced. He says in verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. So this is a really brutal Jewish punishment. It was primarily Jewish, where they would take a prisoner and they would beat this prisoner with this whip-like instrument that had these, these long strands of like leather with like glass and pottery and steel in the end. They would call it the cat of nine tails because it would literally wrap around a prisoner's body and kind of stick in. They would rip it back. And the Jews believed that if you ever hit somebody 40 times with one of these, that they would die. So they always did it 39 times. So, right? So like 40 minus one is, means he was being beaten to the point of death, but five times, which means it happened. And then his back healed and his ribs healed and he was scarred up. And then they did it again. Then he healed up. Then they did it again until he had been beaten this way five times. He says in verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. This was primarily a punishment reserved for the Gentiles where they would cane a person or beat them with rods and just, you could swing as hard as you wanted to and it wouldn't, wouldn't rip the flesh, but it was incredibly painful. So three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. The very punishment that he authorized for Stephen actually uh, happened to him, but somehow he survived. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Can't fathom this. Like I was on a boat uh, about a week and a half ago with my boys and my wife. We were doing some deep sea fishing. Uh, it was an eight-hour trip. Uh, Twelve-foot swells. Thirty minutes in, I'm sick as a dog. And I was like, oh my God, I got seven and a half hours before I get to get off this boat. Miserable. Paul was on a ship that broke apart and he drifted at sea and then he got back on a boat. And then that one sunk and then he got back on a boat three times shipwrecked. Drifting one of those times a full night and a day before he ever hit the land. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, in hardship, 
through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure, this internal suffering, this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? (laughs) Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? So if I must boast, if I must brag, if I must tell you anything, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. This is so important to get this. We aren't looking at these biblical characters trying to show you what it's going to take to make varsity as a Christian. We're not showing you these characters going, okay, you need to suffer, you need to be like these people. What Paul is saying, like, hey, I'm not telling you all this so you'll be impressed with me. I'm telling you all this so you'll know I'm human too. And all these things that happened to me, all they did was display my weakness, not my strength. And so when we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 1 then, it's the same Apostle Paul talking to us now about suffering. Now we've got a glimpse into what he's been through, right? Got some idea of how hard life has been. And so we'll pick this up now in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 3, he starts with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So even before he starts telling us what God is up to and where God is in suffering, he first identifies who God is. He reminds us of what kind of God we have. And he calls, first of all, he refers to God as the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important. It tells us a lot about who God is. He's not a far-off deity, but he's something like a dad. Now, if you didn't have a good example of an earthly dad, or you had an absentee dad, or you were abused by your dad, it might be a struggle for you to see God this way, to call him dad. But he reminds us that he's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a specific dad. And if you go to the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to teach us what his dad is like. His father is a good father. He's not an abusive father. He's not an absentee father. When when Jesus, the son, calls out to him, he answers. And so Paul first starts by reminding us that God is a father, and if you're a Christian, that, that means something because he actually adopts you as a son and a daughter, and he says, hey, you call me dad too. Okay, so this isn't like going over to your friend's house who has a good dad, and you're just overwatching him call his dad dad, but the invitation is for you and I to call him that, that we're actually brothers with Jesus. We're adopted into this family. Then he goes on to refer to him as the father of mercies. Um, This Greek word can also translate compassion. What kind of dad is this dad of Jesus, the father of Jesus? He's actually a compassionate, merciful dad. What does his face look like when I mess up? What's the tone of his voice when he's correcting me? Do Do I filter it through my earthly experiences? Right? Do I see... God is this mean dictator or this this dad who's annoyed with me or do I see him as a compassionate, merciful father? 
And then he refers to him as the God of all comfort. This Greek word, uh, pos, means all, whole, every. So there's nothing that you can go through that's beyond the scope of his ability to comfort. There's no affliction, no suffering, no hard thing you could walk through that's just too much for God. He's not the God of partial comfort. He's not the God who can comfort you as long as things don't get too bad. This good father, God, he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. All of our affliction. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in, again, any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, there's something to be said for going through something hard and then sharing that with somebody who's gone through the same thing. There's a certain level of comfort and right that you can get from that. But that's not required. There's a certain level of compassion and empathy and mercy that God gives to us that we can actually give away to one another whether I've been through the exact thing you've been through or not. Now, it's going to require some work on my part. I've got to be willing to be curious with you and available to you and allow you to share what you're going through. But if I'll pay attention to you, now I can't take it all, but I can be with you in your suffering, whether I've personally experienced it or not. You could share something that sounds it's painful, and I can say, man, that sounds really painful, or it sounds really sad, that sounds really hard, and I can, in a small way, I can be in that with you. So we have this God who can comfort us in any situation, and then he says, oh, and by the way, this has been done for you, so you can do that for each other. That You can comfort one another in any and all afflictions. And so one of the questions we're going to be seeking to answer today is, okay, so then how does this God of all comfort actually comfort us in affliction? So I think it's so important to note one of the reasons why I think we um, maybe get angry at God as a first reaction is that we're holding him to fulfill promises or obligations that he never agreed to. There's certain expectations that you may have of God that he hasn't actually agreed to. One of those is that anytime you go through something hard, God will step in and scoop you up and rescue you. He actually hasn't promised to do that. Comfort is something he gives you in the affliction. This God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction. And so how does he do that? What is he up to? What does he do that brings me comfort when things get hard. We're going to talk for a minute about what we typically do that doesn't help. Okay, so just fair warning. I'm going to talk a lot about what I see in myself and in others when it comes to hard things. Verse 5 says this, though, before we get there. Verse 5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So I, I love that we read about all of Paul's sufferings, and now we're reading this. One of the misunderstandings is that what Paul is saying is that if you're going to share in his sufferings, you've got to be shipwrecked. I, I hope that doesn't happen to you. 
I don't think I ever want to get on a ship again. I don't have to be beaten 39 times with a cat of nine tails for this to apply to me. But what he's talking about, when he talks about the abundance of sufferings and sharing in the abundance of Christ's sufferings, he's not talking about his sufferings. He's talking about the sufferings of who? Jesus himself. That somehow everything that you go through and I go through is connected to what Jesus suffered for us. Now, today is the last day we're going to be looking at a human character, Paul. Next week and the week after, we're going to be looking specifically at the sufferings of Christ and how his sufferings meet our story in the midst of our sufferings. But what I want to do is just take a step back and go, okay, when he talks about all sufferings, he's going all the way back to this idea that you and I live in a fallen world and you have been suffering since birth. And we talked about this in week one how a lot of times we as children things are rough and we start to normalize it and go I guess this is just what life is like and we call it normal and somewhere along the way we, we detach from this idea of hard things and so our perspective is that most days things are fine until something blows up and we lose sight of this reality that nothing is fine like nothing is as it should be and you don't have to receive a cancer diagnosis for that to be true or lose your job or have a car wreck or have somebody betray you. Like just wake up tomorrow and you're going to encounter the suffering of the fall. You have lived already through an abundance of sufferings. But he says this, that not only do we share in the abundant sufferings of Christ, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. We'll talk for a minute about where this is headed, and this is this idea of relying on your own strength and ability to get you through hard things. I'll just put it in plain English. So when we encounter infliction and we rely on our own ability, our own strength, to like coach ourselves through things, like, you know, where we like, we say things like, I can do this. Not me, I can do this. This will be over soon, or this isn't as bad as so and so situation. You know, you know that self talk? Okay, well, that's you trying to reason and kind of coach yourself through hard stuff. I heard somebody say this when I was in a really hard situation, and I was like, well, this is what I think, and I was trying to reason my way out of it, and they were like, hey, didn't your best thinking get you here? I'm like, yeah, they're like, well, then why in the world do you think your best thinking is going to get you out of here? You need more than your best thinking. You need more than your ability to reason. You need more than your ability to white-knuckle it through this situation. Listen, you can survive a lot of things, and you already have. I'm not talking about survival here. You can survive a lot on your own, but you will come out on the other side with deep, unattended wounds that will continue to deliver misery and loneliness long after the suffering has passed. Listen, church, God is not promising to provide comfort to those who are attempting to be God here. You see, if I'm experiencing something in life that is hard, and I'm trying to get myself through it, I'm attempting to be more than human. 
And the only being that is more than human is who? Say it. Well, I hope you know. God. Okay, what about the angels? We'll talk about that later. God. You with me? Like when I'm trying to rescue myself, fix myself, get myself through the hard thing, I'm essentially attempting to do that which only God can do. God did not promise to provide comfort or rescue those who are attempting to be God. But he did promise comfort to those who are humbled by affliction, who cry out for help, who take their affliction to this God of all comfort. And this is where God promises to give comfort abundantly. Some things to think about when you aren't finding comfort. First of all is this. It's not that God doesn't know what to do. You have not baffled him. I know you're baffled and you're like, this is, you wouldn't understand, this is too complex. This thing happened to this thing, happened to this thing, happened to this thing. I just had one of those stories with my transmission. I'm like, well, this happened, this happened. I'm like, it's not that it's too complex for God. It's not that he doesn't know what to do. And it isn't that God doesn't have enough comfort to give to you. And it isn't that God is, he just isn't willing. When we find ourselves in suffering and we aren't receiving comfort, more than likely, it's that we haven't loosened the grip on trying to make it on our own. And you have not yet surrendered and asked for help. Whew. That's scary. Watched a, a YouTube video of a um, hang glider instructor who was going to take somebody with them. Have you seen this? Don't look it up if you're scared of heights. It's freaky. There's a hang glider up on a hill, the guy, the, the um, instructor, and he's going to take somebody on a ride, so the goal is to put a harness on the other person and strap them in. When he goes to take off, but he forgot to strap this guy in. And why the guy didn't just stand there and go, see ya, I don't know. But he freaked out, and so he grabbed a hold of the instructor and the hang glider, and now here they are, off. Hundreds of feet above the earth. And the instructor did what he could to get the hang glider down to the earth quickly, but it took two and a half minutes, and this guy's like white knuckling it and just like you can see his grips failing he's sliding at one point the instructor puts one hand on the hang glider and he grabs the guy with one hand he's trying to guide this thing and at another point in the video this guy is hanging from the instructor's leg i'm like oh dear god i hope his pants don't come off <laughs> and they get down just close enough to the ground where this guy lets go after two and a half minutes of white knuckling it breaks his wrist but he had ripped and torn all the muscles in here from from the grip he had on this instructor. Now, if, if, you're, if you're ever in that situation, hang on for dear life. That doesn't work in real life suffering. That's a horrible idea when things get hard. If you remember maybe a few months ago now, Nick Hill was preaching. He was talking about humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. And it can, it can be a scary thing. But what we have to remember is God's hand does this too. And in the midst of suffering and hardship and pain and sorrow, instead of hanging on tighter, what we need to do is we need to let go and just find out if God was willing to catch us or not. But as long as you're white-knuckling it, God's hand's right there just following you around. I wish you'd just let go. I got you, but I can't get you until you let go. So, 
The problem isn't that God isn't enough and that he doesn't want to be there. The problem is that we are still playing God and trying to fix ourselves. And I think that's connected for me at least. If this resonates with you, fantastic. If not, you're one of the few chosen. We don't know what we need to begin with. Most of us wouldn't even know where to start in asking God for what we need. All we know to do is to tell him to do it the way we want it done. Fix it. I don't know for you, but for some of us, we grew up in homes where we didn't have enough space to make our needs known. And when we did, we were maybe shamed or shut down. Our, our needs were minimized or dismissed. And so somewhere along the way, we just conceded to this idea that I don't guess I get to make my needs known in the world. Everybody else gets to, but, but maybe not me. There's not enough room in the world for my needs. And so now here we are as adults, and we don't even know how to ask for what we need from God. We don't even know how to go to him and boast in weakness. I spent a great deal of my adulthood suffering without comfort. Most of it was around depression and anxiety. But I spent a large portion of my adult life suffering without comfort, even as a Christian, because I was unwilling to be known in my suffering and ask for what I needed. And I didn't find the help that I needed until a really kind man and counselor by the name of Robin looked me in the eyes, he confronted my pride, and then he sat in silence and waited for me to find the courage to ask for what I needed. Who wants to pay for that counseling session? That's literally how it went. Jason, do you know what you need? I'm just going to sit here with you until you figure it out. And then we sat in silence. And through that interaction, not only did I discover, oh, I think I know what I need. I found the courage to ask for it. I said, oh, I think, I think I know what I need. And I was scared. And I was like, hey, this is what I think I need. He's like, okay, I can give you that. But I needed somebody who was kind and courageous to confront me and help me see what I couldn't see. We're going to pick this back up in verse 6. So Paul says this, he writes this, he says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. See how he's referring to the bigger picture of suffering here? He's not saying you have to get on a ship and watch it sink and then drift for a night and a day. He's talking about the suffering that we all suffering that you're going to experience tomorrow morning. And our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is a really special place in this passage. Um, the Greek word here that gets translated share, um, it's the Greek word koinonos, which is the same root as koinonia. Okay, so this is the idea of community sharing something. Okay, so it's like you go through something hard and I go through it with you. 
You go through something to celebrate, and I celebrate with you. It's more than, hey, I've got some money. Do you need some? Here you go. It's this idea of like fellowship. The word actually gets translated fellowship in Acts 2. This is describing true community. Koinonia. When we koinonos together, we share in things. So earlier in the service, when we were singing and worshiping together, we were koinonosing in worship. When you go through something really hard and you choose to share that with me, then I can koinonos with you. I can share with you in that suffering. Something amazing happens in your life, and like, I got to share this with somebody. You bring that and you share that with me. We are koinonosing together. Fellowship. That's the sharing that we're doing here. And here's what I want to point out. This isn't what's wrong with you. This is actually what's right about you. Your need to share life with other people comes out of God's design, not your weakness. For those of us who have a lot of pride, who don't want to be a bother and we don't want to ask for help, we are operating outside of our design. That's hard. That's what needed to be confronted in me. This isn't what's wrong with you. It's actually what's right with you. This is operating by God's design. Every human being in this room or listening online needs other human beings to koinonos with, to share life with, life on life. This is real community. In Paul's other letter to these same Christians in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, he describes the church and he uses the metaphor of a human body. And he says that's, kinda, that's how we're supposed to be connected to one another. Like we can't all be feet, we can't all be hands, we can't all be eyes, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, but somehow when we come together, the thing comes alive and it works. And I need you and you need me. And there's two verses here, two and a half verses I want to read in this chapter. So this is 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to start in the second half of verse 24. He says, But God so composed the body, that's the church family, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, the church family, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Okay, so it's not the picture that you're going to have some Christians who have life together and then they need to be willing to care for the ones who don't. He's like, no, 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 this only works if we actually care for one another. And then he finishes by saying this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is community. Community is the place where you can be fully known and fully loved. I don't know how many of those places you have in life or whether or not you have one. Well, but you can't experience community if it's just fully known and then rejected. We spent most of our life trying to avoid those places, right? We know what that feels like. If, if I let you see me, you're going to reject me it's going to feel like junior high all over again. 
But it's also not enough just to be fully loved if we aren't fully known. That's where we put on the mask and I sell a version of myself I think you'll like. You applaud me and hug me and tell me that you love me, but I know deep inside you don't love the real me. You only love the version that I'm willing to show you. So it's like community only happens in a space where you are fully known and fully loved at the same time. That's the koinonia. Just joining a community group doesn't accomplish that. That's a great place for it to happen, but you need more than putting your name on a roster and showing up on Friday night. This only happens when we decide to actually take the risk of doing life on life, being vulnerable with one another, and listen, asking for what you need. How do you know if you struggle with that? Prayer requests are going around, and you're like, I don't know what to ask for. That's, that's me. That's how I know it. I'm like, oh, that's right, because I don't have needs. But if I'll stop and take time and really think about the major plot lines of my life, I actually have needs. The question is, do you share those with anybody? Do you have any spaces where you can be fully known and fully loved? We'll finish in verse 8 and 9. Paul says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Most of us, if not all of us, have been in that place. Were you contemplating whether or not life was worth living anymore? I want to look everybody in the eye. If you're the exception to the rule, congratulations. Most of us know a version of that. He goes on to say this. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And then I would say the most powerful thing he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. All this talk about suffering. Why? What's God up to? Paul says, you want to know what God was up to in us? We came into this Christian journey trying to white-knuckle our way through. I had a lot of head knowledge. I had been who's who and seminary and all the political and religious realms. I knew it all. And in each moment of affliction, God was taking that tight grip I had on my own strength and just gently his hand was loosening the grip. And Paul's saying, I finally came to the place, we finally came to the place where we let go of the hang glider and realized we weren't a thousand feet off the ground. God's hand was right there, just gently caught us. That's what God was up to in our suffering. He was teaching us to not rely on ourselves but instead to entrust ourselves and to rely on the one who can raise the dead God has designed you to live in community with him and with other believers and if either one of those pieces are missing you're living outside of his design and the fact that God calls you to share your suffering with other believers does not mean that he's not enough. I had somebody in, in counseling 
half a year ago say, hey, can't I just do all this in my prayer closet? Doesn't that mean that God's not enough if I have to share this with other humans? And I'm like, no, it doesn't mean that. It just means that you're operating the way God designed the world to work. Like You were designed to live in community with God and community with other human beings. It's not what's wrong with you. It's what's right with you. And what Paul is saying is, listen, your suffering is doing something really good inside of you. It's revealing that you can't rely on your own strength. It's revealing that you can't fix yourself. It's revealing that you can't save yourself. It's revealing that you are not God. But it's also moving you. Moving you towards God, this God of all compassion. Moving you towards real community where you can be fully known and fully loved. Moving you towards the presence of God in others. Moving you away from relying on yourself. I want to end with one passage here that shows up later on in this letter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about another piece of his suffering, but he doesn't tell us what it is, and I think that's on purpose. I believe it is. He just describes this one thing that happens that was happening to him as a thorn in the flesh. It's just like this painful thing that just kept happening and kept happening and kept happening. Now I want you to pay attention, okay? If you're a I've got my life together kind of person, type A personality, you're still, you know, you've got one hand on the hang glider and one on the instructor and you think you're fine, okay? That, that was Paul. Listen to what he says here. Let's start in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was giving, given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. Paul struggled with pride. He says it twice. This particular thing that happened, this particular affliction, I know what God was up to. He was keeping me from becoming conceited and relying on myself. He even says in verse 8, three times I pleaded, I begged with the Lord about this that it should leave me. Verse 9, but he, the Lord, said to me, Paul, this is what Jesus says back to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus was saying back to Paul, I'm actually enough for you in this. My presence will be enough for you in this. What, what is this source of comfort? What's God doing that brings us comfort? Here it is. He's giving you himself. He's the God of comfort. He's not sending you medicine in the mail. He's not sending you a script on how to get your life together. The comfort that he gives to you comes from his presence and his presence alone. And this is what Jesus is saying to Paul. Hey, in this one, I'm going to be enough for you. My grace will be sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul's response was this. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boasting and weakness. You know what that is? Confessing. Telling the truth about what's going on in your life. Paul will go on to say this. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness. He's not saying he likes it. He's saying I'm at peace in my weakness. I'm content in weakness. I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? Because for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what we want, isn't it? To be stronger? Your strength is not going to come from thinking your way through your hardship. Your strength is not going to come through reasoning with yourself and coaching yourself through it. Your strength is not going to come from just white-knuckling it and trying harder. Your strength is going to come from letting go of what you can do for yourself. You want to know what God is up to in your suffering? He's following you around like this. Just let go. The same mighty hand that's here is here. Like, I've got you. Let go. And the most comforting place you can be in the universe is in the hand of the Father. One last just kind of illustration I think helps with this. Four-year-old little girl, she's outside riding her bike with training wheels, and she falls off the curb and skins her knee. She doesn't need stitches, but it hurts. It's the first time this four-year-old girl has ever experienced any kind of pain like this. What's her first reaction? Well, I need to get out the medical kit, and I really need to put some iodine on this. And No, no. where's Dad? She's going to come barreling in the front door, and she's looking for Dad. And what does she want more than anything in the universe? For Dad to just wrap his arms around her? Dad's in the room? You know that doesn't actually take away physical pain, right? But if you've done it, you know it, it helps, right? Why? Because that's where you want to be, the presence of dad. Fast forward, girl's now 16, finally has her first serious boyfriend, and he breaks up with her. What's her first reaction? Where's dad? Can dad fix it? No. Can dad take away the pain? No. What can dad do? Give his presence. Come here. The same thing he gave her at four, he can give her at 16. This is the God of all comfort. This is an invitation for you to come barreling through the door to find dad. This good dad of Jesus is your good dad as well. He is not promising to take away the pain or change the circumstance or do whatever you're asking him to do. But what he is promising is to be enough that just his presence and his love and his compassion alone is enough to bring you comfort in the midst of suffering. And all this is contingent on whether or not you're willing to confess, confess or boast in weakness and ask for what you need. So I'm going to ask a few questions here for us to reflect on. Um, I, I hope that you could answer this first question. How have you personally experienced God's comfort 
during times of difficulty or adversity. Just permission to just stop for a minute. Can you look back over your story? Is there any memories that come to mind where you're like, man, God really comforted me in this moment? How have you personally experienced God's comfort during times of difficulty or adversity? And if you can't think of one, first of all, it just makes me sad because I know that God desires to give that to you. The second question then may be important for you. This is for all of us. In what part of your life currently are you relying on your own strength instead of God's strength to get you through an affliction or weakness? Where are you white-knuckling it and hanging on to the hang glider and the instructor? Anything come to mind? These next few questions come out of that. Question number three is this. What would it look like for you to let go of trying to manage this difficulty on your own? What would that look like? You're like, oh, I'll die. Maybe not. If you're not sure, come find a pastor or elder or somebody you trust and talk about it with them. What would it look like for you to actually let go of trying to manage this difficulty on your own and just, just be known in it? Now, once you think about this, what would it look like then to give that weakness to God this week? If you don't have a daily prayer life, you're not giving anything to God. I'm sure God loves it when we recite the Lord's Prayer to Him. I'm sure He enjoys it when we sing songs to Him. But did you know that God is a good dad and He enjoys it when you come barreling through the door and you tell Him what you need? Maybe one of His favorite things about being a good dad is like getting to be there for you. And what you need and so here's the thing like maybe you need to set up an appointment with hey god i'm getting up tomorrow morning at 6 a.m i got some things to talk about because maybe you're just you know, too busy right now okay it's fine what would it look like though for you some point this week to get alone with the father and bring that weakness to him and just tell him what you need if you need help with this first of all you can go to the psalms david was a pro at this just go read the Psalms and look at how David did this. You can come talk to one of our pastors, one of our elders. We'd be happy to, happy to pray with you in this. And then the last question is this. Who is someone in your life that you trust enough to share this weakness with? Okay, now if you have no spaces where you can be fully known and fully loved, would you come talk to one of us? The last thing we want to do is send you into some space where that's going to get used against you. Like, you don't need to trust that part of you with everybody. But you do need to have a space in your life or a couple of spaces where you can be fully known and fully accepted and loved. And so what would it look like for you to take a step towards that this week? Maybe you already know who that is. Text them right now. Like, hey, can we have coffee on Tuesday? Got to share some stuff with you. Whatever, this afternoon. But if you don't have that, Understand, God's design is that you would have that, and as a church, we want to help you find that, okay? And so maybe for you, the first thing, first step for you is come grab a prayer partner in a minute. I can promise these people are safe. I can stand behind them. When they come up to the front to pray for you, that's their heart's desire. There's nothing you can share that they'll use against you to harm you. So start there maybe. Just grab a prayer partner like Nick was talking about earlier in the service and like let them just pray over you in that situation. Our elders will be available out in the commons area. 
Um, we ask all the elders to wear lanyards. Should be two or three of those guys walking around out in the commons. Be happy to just to meet with you, hear what's going on, and pray with you. So what step can you take, maybe even today, just to be known in what you're going through? We're about to sing a song after I pray. Um, it's a song that's super familiar to us. Permission to not sing today, if that's not where your heart is. Okay? If, if you, you'll hear, you hear the lyrics and you go, oh, that, I get it now. But I'm going to say this to you. If you're a person who struggles to pray, and maybe you've never sang before, this next song could actually be both of those. It's a beautiful prayer embedded in a song, and if it's where your heart is, I hope you'll sing it at the top of your lungs. Lord, I need you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage in 2 Corinthians. We're so thankful that we can not only hear Paul's instructions and his teaching, but he so willingly just shares his life with us. He doesn't just tell us to go boast in weakness. He actually shows us what that looks like. Father, my prayer, first of all, is just for anybody here who has never experienced that, that love that comes from you, that today would be that day. Listen, if you're here and that's you, I'm gonna stop praying for just a second. The promise of the gospel is that if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will be adopted into the family of God. Your sins will be forgiven and you will be made righteous. If you need somebody to do that with you, come grab a prayer partner. This is the doorway into this space of being fully known and fully loved by God. So Father, as I continue to pray, just pray that as a church we could grow in this idea of community. That Solid Rock Church could truly grow and blossom and bloom and become the koinonia. Got a place where we, without hesitation, willingly share life on life, suffering and celebration. Could we be a place where we share abundantly in sufferings and abundantly in comfort? God, could we become a church where people can be fully known and fully loved? We pray all this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.